0: How's everybody doing tonight? Well, I'm glad you are. I'm struggling. Just being up front, I'm struggling today. So we're gonna. I just took a big, deep breath of the Holy Spirit, and we're gonna pray, and we're gonna we're gonna go through it. All right? Can you guys do that? All right. Just for you guys, it's not struggling like you know. I just did something crazy. My, uh, if for those of you who don't know, I'm a type one diabetic, and so. Um, Stressful situations always add a little bit more fun in my life, and uh, today we had some fun with the setup and stuff, and so my sugars were all over like this, and I got put the microphone on and got ready, and then uh, all of a sudden, my sugar decides to go low, and so um, in the middle of this, I may ask for some grape juice to go or take communion early, so, uh, so just that's what I'm going to do. Well, we've been in a series um, about being empty and the pursuit of things in our lives that... Um, make us empty or end up being empty. And so Brandon and Jack have done a great job. And I'm going to conclude that tonight with a, uh, another thing that we chase after, another thing that we do that will bring us to basically the conclusion of being empty inside. And so we're going to walk through that a little bit. So uh, we're going to have a little fun. I want you to be transparent as much as you can with yourself. And I, this is what I, I do in church and I do in other things. When I'm sitting listening to someone speak, I always think and list off the people that should be here to listen to it. You guys ever do that? So what I want you to do is not focus on that. You can still do that side list over there if you'd like. But but what I really want you to focus in on is you listening to your heart and your spirit tonight. And what God's asking you and asking, you maybe disturbing you in a habit or moving you or a realization that's coming up um, in your head or in your heart, and I and I want us to deal with that tonight. Okay, so we're going to start off easy, start off light, and so we're going to do some fun survey questions. If you feel like standing up, no, I'm just joking. Don't don't stand up. Do you get upset? You can either. Does anybody watch Storage Wars? Anybody watch Storage Wars where they go and they buy storage? Yep, yep. All right. So what did you, if you agree with one of these statements, give me a yep or a, a groan or something that you acknowledge it. Okay. And so that way, you know, we know that we're not all imperfect or we're all imperfect in this. Do you get upset when pe- things that don't go, things don't go your way or the way that you want them done? Do you have a hard time following the rules other people establish and you can believe you can do it better? All right, you're my people right now. When things go wrong, you shift blame to others. By that laugh, I'll take that. All right. (laughs) You find yourself needing to win every single argument that you are in. I had a feeling that was going to be the answer. You sometimes play a manipulating game... To get your way? Do you lose your temper when situations don't go your way? I can hear more grumbling now. We're getting a little more serious, a little more like, uh oh. Do tool malfunctions, car trouble, computer issues really push your buttons? Yeah, I had a lot of those today. Have you ever been told? that you have control or power issues? Well, thank you for saying yes. And that's what we're talking about tonight is the pursuit of power and the pursuit of trying to gain power and trying to worship power is going to end up at the end empty. And so I, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't share with you and be transparent with you some of my issues that I have pursued power in. And, uh, there's this one, this, as soon as we got this topic, I knew I had to tell you this story. And so, um, I coach middle school baseball and, uh, I've coached high school baseball and middle school baseball. I'm super comp- I'm not super competitive. Look, I'm already backtracking. Um, I'm competitive. And so, um, this last year, um, we, uh, were playing on the South side and, uh, there was just this, give you a little context. So the girl it's, it's on the South side. One of the Women, it's a teacher there. I've, we've mentored in our family for a long time, and she is a teacher there. So she was there with her friends, said that I was the pastor, you know, coming to the game, the coach, and all this kind of stuff. So I first walk into the baseball field, and um, it was just a It was just a rye. They, uh, they were putting bases down, literally in baseball fields. If you, They have a little post that the bases, and they snap into the field. Um, they were just throwing the top half of the base down on the field. And I was like, Oh no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. And so I walked up to the head umpire and I said, where's the post? And they're like, Oh, the landscaper, uh, landscapers just kind of dragged over it and lost him. So we're just kind of guessing where the, uh, the bases go. And I said, well, as a player and as a coach, that's, that there's a safety issue there. If you know, the bases just kind of move, it's kind of not good. And so I finally convinced him that, um, that it would be best to find the post. And so I said, "Well, you know, we'll slow it. we'll warm up a little bit slower so they find two posts, but third base doesn't have a post." And so I was like, "Well, that's fine. You know, well, at least we have two and hopefully we'll just run around third base and not have to stay there." And so I agreed to that and we were going in the game, we were it was a neck and neck game and we uh, were winning a little bit. They just switched pitchers out, one of my best players crushes this ball up the gap. And if you are familiar with um fields on the south side um a lot of the junior highs don't have fences and so literally if you hit a little dinky little can of corn hit it goes forever and you look like a genius because it's just you know going my player hit a crush so he's on third base and he's waiting there and they change pitchers out they change to a left-handed pitcher and for those of you aren't baseball savvy left-handed pitchers can actually see third base right Actually, they can't see third base. That's the other way around, and so they can't see. And so um, I was like, you know what? Let's let's see if we can see if we can get them to throw the ball away. Let's see if we can, you know, kind of toy with them a little bit. I was feeling pretty confident in myself, and uh, I said, all right, take a couple steps. And then you know, I have a I have a noise that I make that the players know that that's to take an extra step, and uh, and so I did that and he, extra step, extra step. And all of a sudden, the kid fooled us. He has an amazing move picks, almost picks the guy off, right? First time. And then I'm like, Ooh, okay, let's, you know, let's move back a little bit. Let's do this. And, um, and so the pitcher throws again and, uh, almost gets him. And I'm like, Oh, let's just take it a little margin this time. So I, I call time out. I call the hitter in and I call the, the baseball, uh, the runner in. And I said, Hey guys, if he throws down and you're beat, just take off for home. We're going to, we're going to play the game of, uh, for that. And so, I was like, you know, we can lose either way, but we're going to, this is going to work. And so, um, didn't listen, gets gets his uh, lead and he, um, the pitcher makes another move and my player, instead of doing what I asked him to do to run home, he dives into third base head first and the base does what it moves literally like two and a half feet from him. The kid lays the tag on the top of the shoulders of the, of the player that just slid. The umpire just comes running over. You're out of here. And I said, blue, the base moved." He's like, no, it didn't. I said, yes, it did. No, it didn't. And I, and I was like, I was furious. I was like, I knew this was going to bite us in the butt. You don't know, have this thing. And so literally we had a little exchange and, uh, I said, that was the most horrible call. That's horrible. You can't even see the sun's in your eyes. And it's dusty. How did you know the base moved? And he goes, one more word out of you, and you're gone. And I thought to myself. one In my head, one one word? Is it? Should I? I've got Jen's there. She's got a bunch of teachers there that are friends that know that I'm a pastor. And there's a bunch of junior high kids I'm supposed to be an example to. You know, my daughter goes to the school, my dad's coaching, my mom's watching, you know, all this is going through my head and I'm thinking, that's a horrible call. (laughs) And I got ejected. (laughs) Isn't it so often that we can mask it and we can laugh about it when it's in sports or when it's, when we're driving or when we get behind a car and we want to get somewhere fast and someone's blocking our way and prevents our progress. We want a promotion at work. Someone else gets it, a friend, a colleague, and now you hate that person and you start spewing words of your displeasure or your dislike. We want to be married And we're angry with God because we're still singer and we have no prospects. We don't want to be beat out for all the prizes that life has to offer. And you're, you're probably saying to yourself, well, Brian, those things are just ambition. Those things are, are things, natural things that we go through that we do. Those are who we are. This quote from C.S. Lewis, as I was studying, I came across this quote. Let me read it to you. What we call ambition usually means that we wish to be more conspicuous or more successful than someone else. It is the competition element in it that is bad. It is perfectly reasonable to want to dance well or look nice but when the dominant wish is to dance better and look nicer than the others is when we begin to feel that the others that the others danced as well as you or look as nice as you that would take all the fun out of it that's where we go wrong isn't that true it's the best syndrome for us you're a pretty wife, but you want to be a prettier wife or the prettiest wife. For me, I want to be a good pastor. That's not content enough. I want to be the best. I want to be the best communicator. I want to be to have the largest church. I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying it as general. I can make you think that though. And for not just a runner, but you want to be the fastest runner or you want to be the smartest in class. It's not just good to be smart. But you have to be the smartest. Fill in the blank, whatever your heart or whatever my words have prompted in you, in your head. There's one thing or multiples of things that you respond to, that you think you're the best at, or that you're striving to be the best at. Power at its worst, power at its worst is a sin of comparison power at its worst is a sin of comparison of comparing two things together you and another or another and you either to make yourself feel better or to make yourself feel worse it's just not ceos it's just not pastors it's not politicians it's people with influence that you think have trouble with power And control. Power tempts almost all of us. In which so many of us keep falling. In those empty traps. Of power and control. Let's remember at the center. Of every item we worship. If it's cars. If it's money. If it's business. If it's looks. If it's influence. The problem comes when we don't actually, let me backtrack a little bit. All those things at the root of those things is a God given appetite for those things because in us is an appetite to worship because God created us to worship. The problem comes is when someone or something other than God fills that appetite. I've seen an experience of people, um, that want power and desire power, they're not doing it just to be belligerent or they're not seeking out power to be self-seeking. The initial attraction to power usually begins with a God-given appetite, like I said, for purpose. Our purpose. We are wired to make a difference. We want our life to count for something great. We want our lives, body of work, to be significant somewhere in the journey somewhere in the path somewhere in the decision making we cross over we lose control by trying to gain control and we desire the power and we want to yield it and wield it to make sure that we matter psychologist at harvard I'm going to screw up his name. It's Tal Ben-Shahar. He's a best-selling author, and he's one of the, the, one of the most people seek out his lectures all the time at Harvard. And you can see, you can catch some of the stuff online. But he has, he's done a study, basically a baseline of, of, of desire, people um, looking for enjoyment and happiness and power and, and just grabbing for things. And things that are negative too, like a death or things that happen to us that are negative. And they've come out to the study that no matter if it's good or bad, you kind of have this baseline that so when you gain, let's say I gain a bunch of power and I got a promotion at work and I'm feeling really good and I've got a new car, I've got, you know, I'm dry, all this stuff. I will feel better. I will feel happier for what do you guys think? Give me a month. In average, you will feel better about yourself for six months. And then your body and your psyche will engage again to figure out what the next fix is. Same with something that happens bad. It'll be bad. You'll be about six months and then you'll bounce back up to the baseline of where you're at. And you'll be looking for what's next. And so in that baseline is what do we put in that baseline? Do you guys remember Jim Carrey? Raise your hand if you remember Jim Carrey. If you don't know who Jim Carrey is, dumb and dumber, snot frozen on the motorcycle. His quote is this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that that's not the answer. Here's a man that has more money than a lot of us, I would much say than all of us, and he's saying, it's empty at the end, it's empty. We set ourselves up, chasing power, having control to get more power, not worrying about what's Who we're stepping on or who we're going through to get that we set ourselves up for a big big fall And we're going to look at two Bible characters in the same story in the same book That dealt with power but dealt with it in two different ways And so we're going to spend the rest of the night looking at these two figures to see how they handled power and how they used control and what they did with their control and their power inappropriate ways. And so you're probably wondering what the two characters are. And uh, so we are going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. If you know anything about team Team Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) I'm back in that coaching thing. King Nebuchadnezzar was uh, a power hungry king he was basically going across the lands and literally devouring, killing, and capturing everybody that would oppose him or his belief system. If you... Daniel was captured. Daniel was a, was a, was a, uh, a wealthy... Um, well, he was a good, wise guy, and he was captured. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had um, all kinds of... Kings of that day were... Um, were to believe to have visions from God in dreams and in things of that nature while they were sleeping, and so uh, they would hire. I mean, like hiring a staff of people to interpret things for us. We do that in corporate America. We hire analysts. We hire all kinds of stuff to read the signs and read the things to do um, what the, so the company is in the best interest. So King Nebuchadnezzar had some dreams and he was very distraught, and so he was wondering what is going on with these dreams. And, uh, and so here we go. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, I think there are, we're going to turn to Daniel two, and we're going to start in verse eight. Before we start, they, um, he had just given them an ultimatum. He said basically uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was using his power to kind of leverage, and he said most most kings and most people would say, Hey, this is what I dreamed. Does anybody remember their dreams i can 't remember them, so this is good for me i 'm glad there's Daniels um, so he couldn't remember his dream, but he wanted he wanted the, the the sorcerers and the, and the, all the people to tell him what the dream was. He wasn't going to give him the dream. He wanted them to tell what it is. And so this is verse eight as, as uh, he was responding to them, him hawing around verse eight. Then the King answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain, gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do tell the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things hoping the situation will change. So then tell the tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing and as any from any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. Wow. He asked them to do something. They couldn't do it. And so he's going to kill them all. Do you think that's a worshiper of power? Thinking he can take human life and just snuff it out? A principle that I want you to know is when power worshippers, people that worship power have serious control, when they smash their nose against the limits of their own control, everyone suffers. So when we try to control or when we try to lord power on people or we try to to gain power, when when that overpasses our own control, we make it miserable for everyone else. You've probably had a boss. You've had a coworker. You've had a dad or a mom, an aunt, an uncle that lorded that power over But when they got crossed or when they were questioned or when they couldn't control anymore, we all suffer. Do I hear an amen on that? So he threatened the magicians, the sorcerers, and all that. So how do we drive for significance and how does it morph Into idolatry. So we're chasing and wanting because that appetite for for wanting to have purpose and wanting to do it. How does it shift to becoming an idol and how we become sliding down the slope slippery slope of chasing and worshiping power. Well, ironic on my notes, it says there's two red flags and it's in blue. So that's kind of weird. But there's two things that I want you to kind of think about. And I am going to talk about some, some characteristics of this. And so this is where I want you to either take notes or mental notes and say, Hey, do I do these things? It doesn't have to be extreme. We are extremists sometimes in our thinking like, well, I don't do that all the way over there, or I don't do it all the way over here. I'm just saying, is there a hint of it in your life? So One of the first red flags talking about morphing or sliding from the God-given appetite to idolatry of power is we avoid failure. We cover up any hint of weakness in our life so that no one can see it. We present ourselves. In a way that so we show our strengths and we keep our weaknesses very hidden so not to fail. We get angry, fearful, and anxious that feeling inside when you're not winning at something. I've played with some sore losers at board games. I'm like, it's just sorry. This isn't life. Thanks for that one. I'm we are push we push everyone around us we push our families and our friends to not fail failure is not an option and we will do it at any any cost another element of that is about protecting uh, avoiding failure is any perceived loss of our influence how people view us how how things are happening if it looks bad on us, that can't happen. We get to that point in our lives that everything is revolving around not failing instead of becoming and doing what God has asked us to do. He's called us to be his children of God. And he's called you to do something. But out of the pursuit of power and control, that's revolving. And we we don't have time or space in our life to hear and see what he's asking us to do. And we're afraid of losing our influence and our control. And we forget to take risks for the glory of God. Just how Lyle said earlier about just experiencing him and going to the mountaintop. We'd rather not go to the mountaintop because we have so much down here that we want to take care of. We have this project to do. We have this car to drive. We have this object that we're chasing. And we forget to take risks that God has asked us to do. First one is avoiding failure. Second one is refusing to I'm just going to let you know, this is going to be hard for a lot of us. It's hard for me as I say it. And so I, I just going to just open your heart to this. Refusing correction is the second red flag. When we when we're moving from the purpose of God to sliding into chasing power into idolatry, we're rebellious and impatient towards rules and processes that are established by others. No agreement on any of that? Our hearts have been influenced by power when we have the inability to admit wrong and there's a resistance to be held accountable. Let's just sit on that one a second. I'm going to read it again. Our hearts have been influenced by power. It doesn't say controlled. It doesn't say totally whacked out, it says influenced. And that has a large spectrum, right? When we have the inability to admit wrong and there's a resistance to being held accountable. I've been doing ministry 20 years and there has been story after story after story after story after story. We could be here for a very long time of seeing this principle take place. We hurt people. We hurt people. We're imperfect people and we hurt people. But instead of not admitting that you're wrong, that you have a portion or a part, just a smidge into someone else's hurt, And then we don't want to be held accountable if someone comes to you and says, you know what, you hurt that person. No, I didn't. We justify it away. Because men, we're trying to hold our weaknesses in and given our strengths. Story after story after story has a similar plot. Or you're dating someone And you know that person's not right for you, but you're desperate for the attention and the love that you get. And you have let people say, you know what, we will say yes. I I will say yes to your, your, uh, your information that you give me for your accountability in our relationship. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. Because that influence of power Is resistant to accountability. You may think in your while you're sliding down this hill, going towards the purpose of God, to the idolatry of power. You may hear these phrases in your head, and I've heard these, so I can. I'm going to say yes while I read them. I am more important than they are. Down in the depths of our hearts, we've said that. I have more responsibility than they do. I know more than they do. No better, nobody, (laughs) nobody better cross me or question me. Can I just be blunt, really blunt, like I haven't been before? If you have a hard time taking correction, if you have a hard time hearing correction from a spouse, a friend, a teacher, a boss, more likely, you're struggling with power issues more than you think. In Proverbs 15:12, it says, "Mockers resent correction." So they avoid the wise. Other proverbs is a is a, a key phrase for me. It's really pithy sta- statements that are very huge in wisdom. And and uh, I told our e group this week. Um, it's a community that we uh, we meet weekly. And I said um, my favorite proverb is, "I know I'm foolish, and I'm I know that I can be foolish, but I don't want to open my mouth and prove it." And so in this, it's saying people that mock and make fun and, and that chase after power, they avoid the wise, Because why? They don't want to be found out. The truth is where, if you think of power as a circle of an influence, we always have an inflated Sense of the power that we have. And the empty promises, as we extend out and extend out and extend out and think we have more power and we've gained more power, it's always a letdown. Because we're worshiping the altar of empty promises where ourselves are going to be let down because we're not putting the faith and the hope and the trust in the truth. Now let's go back to Daniel. It got really quiet in here. Daniel 2. So we saw how Nebuchadnezzar handled stress and power. He was going to kill everybody, right? And so let's look at verse 13. It's right as Daniel was, uh, he found out that he was a one that was going to get killed. He found out that he was part of the, the king's workers that were going to get uh, eliminated because they couldn't, They couldn't answer the question in verse 13. It says, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. The commander of the the King's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and, and tact. Wow. Wisdom and tact. Those go together. He asked the King's officer, why did the King's issue such a harsh decree? Erech then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked him for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to the house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mescal, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how I learned it. He urged them to plead for the mercy for the God to the heaven concerning the mystery. And so he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During that night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise to be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what you have, I've asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I love that. That Daniel pursued God because he knew that it wasn't possible for him as a person to do the dream. His knowledge and knowing that his knowledge of his father could do that. And it was just opposite, right? He could have tried to do it or could then like Nebuchadnezzar, he could have tried to do it on his own strength, but he he chose not to. In doing so, he pointed out what can happen when we stop pushing on our own control and search for our own power. We can make room for God and all of his power that we can do, that he can do a work in us and through us when we give him the praise and the glory. So what? So what does all this mean? We've established that we're broken. We've established that we are power. We chase after power. That two signs of of. What brings us chasing after power is the avoidance of failure and the lack of correction. And so how I want to spend the rest of tonight is talking about how we can deal with power. I think it's it's not, I'm not going to be up here and tell you that we can completely get rid of it because in the root of it is an appetite to worship God and then we substitute it With things in our life That we want to control And so there's things that we can do And steps we can take To help us Deal with The power that's around us And the power that's given to us And the power That we try to get So this is the first thing I'm going to say it And I want you guys to respond As fast as you can To the first person that does Okay but I want you to act it out like charades. Okay. You guys ready? Everybody ready? You know what we're expecting. I'm going to say a phrase and then I want you to act it out. The universal international sign for surrender. Oh my goodness. Come on now. Obviously you guys aren't there yet. All right. So I think it's interesting that the universal, most time we power and control, we grab hold of and we don't want it to let go. How many people have been on a roller coaster? My favorite roller coaster is the Viper in Magic Mountain, California. It is the coolest ride and is the best when you get in the front and you put your hands in the air and you wave them like you just don't care and then you go do like 500 loops and 600 things and 500 miles an hour and you got bugs in your teeth and then you get the end and you're like, yeah! That took me about 26 times to get to. The first time... I was gripping hold of that bar like nobody's business. I was holding on and I'm like, what what, we're dropping what, forty stories? What? Going backwards? And then every time, every time that I wrote it, I felt a little more, a little more secure, a little more safe. And so surrendering to things is how we combat the power. No one no one enjoys surrendering. Do you think soldiers enjoy surrendering? Do you think people in general want to surrender to things? No, it's not an enjoying thing. It's not enjoyment to, to admit a failure or to, to admit that you don't have the strength or the ability to do it. Surrender means voluntarily giving up your power and control. And honestly, that's flat scary. But when we surrender, when we surrender to God and when we surrender ourselves, we give up our power and our control. It was a turning point for Daniel and countless others when he went back with his friends and they said, I can't do this. Let's pray that God and surrender what we think we, we can are and what we can and let's see how he works. That was a turning point for Daniel. His pressure, he was looking at being killed. Did he run around trying to figure out how to manipulate the situation? No. He went straight to the source. He surrendered with his community around him and said, hey God, can you help us? There's a verse that has been huge in my life. Um, It's a simple verse and it's not Jesus wept. It is Psalms forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. God has asked me to do some crazy things. Quit a job that I didn't have another job to go to. And my wife was six months pregnant. What? What are you talking about, God? This isn't how it's supposed to work out. This isn't the plan that I had set in forth. Be still and know that I am God. In Hebrew, be still. I I struggled with this in my life because I'm I'm a goer. I like to move. I like to do things. I don't sit down a lot. And I actually my figure should look better if I didn't sit down much. Um. So I don't do that, and so I struggled with this verse because "be still" means that. What am I just supposed to just sit here? Am I not supposed to move? I'm not supposed to act? You've given me abilities and skills and a skill set to do things. So, God, are you asking me not to move and do things? And He kept on saying this verse over and over and over to me, and finally, it made sense to me. It says, in Hebrew, "be still" means let go. Be still means let go. It doesn't mean stop doing what I've asked you to do in the calling of your life and do my will. It's saying let go of all the power and the junk that you bring along with it and let me do it. How many of you right now are trying to control a situation that you're in and you're failing miserably? What does it look like to stop trying so hard. I just want you to close your eyes. I won't do anything crazy. No, no tricks. But I just want you to take these next phrases in and just kind of absorb them. Be still and let go of your own understanding. Be still and let go of your own human effort. Be still and let go of your desire for more power. Be still and let go of your need to control outcomes. Be still and let God be God. In the areas of your life that have been hidden away or tucked away Let him disturb you and let him be still. Some of you may be thinking, I can't break loose from the pursuit of power. I can't break loose from the control. Or you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I can't. I don't want to let go. Well, just let me tell you, King Nebuchadnezzar for a moment there, when Daniel told him the story of, of, the, of the dream, you can look up. Or you can just go to sleep, either way. When Daniel came and told the story to King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he recounted the vision that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar saw that it was virtually impossible what he had put in front of him. He knew that the God of Daniel Provided that information and provided that vision for Daniel. And in that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar said, yes, I believe, I believe in God. I believe in your God. And then you read on in the next several chapters in Daniel. He asked his counselors and his government to build the largest statue of himself. And so you have a couple options. You can be like King Nebuchadnezzar, just admitting or saying, yeah, I believe in your power, God. I believe in your power. And then going back to your selfish, power-hungry ways. And you can end up being broke by God and being sent naked into the desert like King Nebuchadnezzar did for years because he needed to be humbled. Or, We can surrender. We can put our hands up in the air and say, I don't have it figured out. I'm okay with it. And God, I need your help. Another way to break free from the pursuit of power and not to come up empty is to serve others. Find people in your life that are struggling that maybe that you've stepped on or maybe that you've used or looked over and you can go serve them in a way as you surrender God will bring some opportunities to your life you can serve here at the church there's many opportunities to to lead an e-group to do a setup team but when you serve others that isn't directly connected to who you are God uses that in a powerful way. When your obedience crosses God's will, that's where really true faith happens. And so our purpose, God's given us a purpose. He's created us. And sometimes we take that appetite of, for worshiping, and we, we swing it outside of what it was designed to do to worship God our Father we go after and we chase after power. And you just got to set yourself up and to allow God to communicate to you. You got to allow others to come and speak to you, be accountable to you, knowing if you are struggling with that, to say someone, hey, you know what? Check me if I'm going that direction and be willing to listen to wise counsel. Just because if someone says they're wise doesn't mean that they are wise. That just came out of my head right there. But put people in your life that can, you can trust. His power is the only power that will change anything. We can try really hard, and some people succeed, but they will chase after power, and they will end up in the pursuit of being empty. Jesus's power is the only power that changes things. We're going to transition to the time of communion. And I, we talk about communion and we use it as a time of reflection. And, but I, I want you to really honestly think about before you take communion tonight that you are taking in Jesus's blood and the body in which he sacrificed. He surrendered to you so that you could have everlasting life, that you could have an abundant life in him, pursuing the calling and the love and the joy and the peace, the mercy that he is. And that we get to love others through his sacrifice and his surrender. So I want you to think about that. And that's why we celebrate communion is to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us. And some of you are like, well, I don't ever remember ever having a relationship with Jesus. Or what does that, what does that look like? If there is someone in the room tonight that is that it's, they're, they're feeling a tug on their heart or feeling like, you know, I, I, I really want to give up power. I want to give up the control and you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus to see how it's going to work, I would love to greet you down over on this left side. We're going to do communion and then we're going to sing a song. And during any of that time, we'd love to to talk with you. Jack will be down there. Um, We would love for you to be, we would love to introduce you to Jesus. Because he is the only power that changes things. Or if you would like to come down and pray, like, you know what? I'm surrendering tonight. Either... Through the songs or through communion, I'd love for us just to hold our hands up like we've surrendered. If you really, really mean it. Don't do it because your friend's sitting next to you or a cute girl's next to you. Don't do it that way. But if you are truly, honestly saying, you know what, God, I want to give this up. I want to give you the power of my life. I want, I want, I'm surrendering to you. And the song we're singing is 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 about surrender. If you feel like you need to come pray with us, we will we'll pray over there too. Or if you just need to come down and send a moment in prayer, you can do it at your seat or you can come down and pray at the steps. It doesn't matter how you do it. But let's not walk out this door tonight, not without a decision whether you're going to surrender or not. You can walk out the door and you're like, I'm not ready. And that's absolutely, we're going to love on you. We're going to love you who you are. And Jesus will continue to work on your heart and your mind. But if you are ready tonight to to make a commitment to Jesus and to go on a journey with him, we would love to show you him or create a space where you can see his glory and his power in its truest form as he died for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm struggling right now. because you are the most powerful person on the earth. Lord, your spirit is in us and through us. And Lord, we so want to be significant in our lives. Lord, it's not about the music that we sing or the words that we say. It's about how we live with your son, Jesus. And Lord, just be in these moments as we sing praises to you. And Lord, I thank you from the depths of my heart that your power is true. To be still and let go of the things in my life so that you can fill them with your glory so that I can take risks for your kingdom. And Lord, that's my prayer for everyone here is, Lord, that we can set some things down. We can surrender to the power in our own lives that we've created or that we've chased after so that we can create more space for your glory and your power and your magnificence to be in us.